Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, guys, I'm joined today by the man himself, Jordan Coughlin. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing well. Doing very well. Jack Coughlin, big weekend for him. Jack Coughlin took his last chemo pill uh, last night. So we are thankful for that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Jack, so, if you're listening, we love you, man. We're proud of you. It's a great, you're, great young man. You've worked really hard. Yes. You've endured a lot. So it was basically a two-year journey, right? It was, yeah. Yeah. So he had it, you know, two and a half to five and a half. So he went three and a half years of treatment and then uh, relapsed two years ago. So this is the end of um, two years of uh, chemo and hospital visits and not feeling well and weak body and all sorts of stuff. So Man. we are very thankful. Tally Coughlin, if you're out there listening, <laughs> you've endured a lot as well. So tell tell I didn't have tell I didn't have time for the summer talk back, man. She's <laughs> she's she's making moves, Blake. So and maybe on double speed, maybe. Um, how about how about the Rogers fam? How are you guys doing? Rogers family's good. You know, we had our in laws in town this past week. Zom. You know, we are very blessed. I, I feel like my parents are this way, and Abby's parents are this way. They are life givers. Uh huh. So when yeah. so when yeah. they leave, you feel refreshed, not drained. Ah, I love it. I, I want to be that kind of parent one day. Yeah. Yes. When I, when I show back up to my kids' house, they're like, "That was fun." Yep. You know, my mother in law is like that. <clears throat> like you know, my father in law you know had the stroke last week, so I know a lot of people have been asking about him. He's moved to a rehab facility, and he's and you know we're very hopeful. But Joanne was stayed with us all week, and it's like I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're dealing with this very heavy things like she's such a life giver that even in this moment where she's got this enormous strain i still like love having mm-hmm. her around so mm. well we talked about um uh, it kind of relates to what we're talking about right the reason that these folks are maybe life givers is that they are feasting on something or maybe particularly someone <laughs> that um gives them life and energy and authority and power and uh, we talked about that on sunday like feasting on christ and the kind of life or zoe that that he gives and 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 that the true food that jesus really is and and that he really supplies for our souls and and really there's two points of sermon I, i talked about how do you know if you're feasting on christ and uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that with you guys. And then the second one was, how do you feast on Christ? Like, what does it practically mean? But let's go back to how do you know? It's interesting to me, and this happens over and over throughout the ministry of Jesus. It's almost as if um, Jesus is very concerned with having false followers. Mm-hmm. He's not that concerned with losing followers, hmm. He's very concerned with having followers that aren't really followers. Mm-hmm. And this comes up, I mean, I mentioned a few of them yesterday, but this comes up over and over, I feel like, throughout his ministry. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot more than I mentioned, but I mean, just some of the analogies that Jesus gives, like the wheat and the tare, or the sheep and the goats, yeah. or the two houses, um, 
or, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I thought this was interesting too, like the, the parable of the soils, right? Mm-hmm. All of the soils, except for the, the path, you know, the birds come eat and the birds come and eat the, the, the seed off the path, but all the other ones sprout up initially, mm-hmm. but only one is actually fruitful. One actually really goes deep, the good soil, obviously. So mm. it's just interesting how many warnings, it's not like this comes up one time. Yeah, This comes up over and over. And I think that John six, the very end, kind of serves again as that purpose. Jesus has all of these followers desert him and he doesn't like run after them and say, hold on guys, you know, <laughs> you don't understand. I was just using a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. He lets him go. Mm-hmm. And then he actually goes to his disciples and says, do you want to go too? Um, yeah. And of course, Peter's response is, is so telling you we can get to that. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, it, it, just, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that? This, well, this I, idea of the false follower. Just to you know expound on that, I, I think it's to our shame that typically we tend to be the opposite of what Jesus shows and demonstrates in, you know, in his ministry, right? He, he goes after the, the sinner, the lost, those who, you know, as he says, those who need a physician, um, we tend to shun those people. Jesus warns, you know, the nominal Christian, the Pharisee, you know, those coming to him just because of what he can give them. And yet as Christians, how often do we celebrate, you know, how many people we have in our church or, you know, how good I'm doing in terms of reading my Bible every day or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And it's like, that's actually the opposite of what, to your point, Jesus actually warns those people who would put confidence in themselves or just come to him because of all the good things that Christianity provides. Um, and that's that's a warning, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's convicting. Even even thinking about it. Yeah, I think even like this idea of followership. You know, obviously we live in an age where, you know, we have Twitter. Wait, would would Jesus have had a private like follow Twitter account, or would it be just public? What would, I, what would it be these? I kind of think Jesus maybe would not have had a Twitter account. Oh, he would not have a Twitter account. I I think that he. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that Twitter is all bad. Um, but I just kind of feel like, I mean, again, as I read the gospels, Jesus never seems that concerned (laughs) with having this huge following and he doesn't seem that concerned with some sort of worldly, you know, like here, like here's something, this is something I'm thinking about. Okay. Like people like, you know, I got a couple of texts even over the weekend. Somebody's saying like, you're such a good leader. Right. And I'll be honest, like the thing that I thought to myself was like, am I supposed to be a good leader? Like, do I want to be a good leader? Is that like Jesus, uh, you know, kind of what the world wanted Jesus to be, to be this guy that took on the Romans and chipped away at their authority. And and obviously like Jesus was a leader, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people follow him, people listen to him. But is, is this leader language in Christianity just kind of a you know, a paganization of Christianity? Is it a, is it a, is it us kind of becoming like the world with Christian labels Mm -hmm. and like we have all these leadership Mm -hmm. principles? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to forsake the wisdom that actually is in the Bible, but I just, I get nervous about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a slippery slope and I, and it just, again, I, I think, I think the key is you just have to go back and read the gospels and see the heart of Jesus. 
and he just doesn't seem that concerned with like Twitter followers. Yeah, right. You yeah. Know? Well, and that yeah, he gives he gives two things, right? He you know, when he talks about washing, yeah, he washes his disciples' feet and he says, This this is what you know, true leadership looks like, right? It, it's this upside down nature of what leadership is. Those who have the most leadership actually serve the most, right? Which is countercultural, right? Like we, 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 we don't, you know, we don't do that oftentimes. But then second, I just see there's a, there's a strength, a conviction of calling, right? Jesus knew what he was on earth to do. Mm-hmm. And he didn't let the crowds sway him. He didn't let, yeah. you know, a, as people flocked to him that that kind of, you know, I'm sure it tempted him, but obviously he didn't, he didn't, you know, succumb to that. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was supposed to do. And I just think that's, that's what's so hard for us because we, we love the applause, right? We, we love people saying, oh, you're amazing. But then that that yeah. also comes with, and we think you should do this, yes, right, you know? yeah, yeah, and that's where we can so quickly and easily get off track. And you know, it's interesting. I love that you've kind of started the sermon, you know, the last few weeks, like talking about the end, you know, the uh, thesis statement, yeah, in other yeah. words, that John has in in John chapter twenty. But these things are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I think what we see in this passage is that the Son of God needs nothing. Yes, the Son of God doesn't need you to follow him. He is the son of God. That's right. You need him. He doesn't need you, but you desperately, so desperately need him. And it's so funny that we go to Jesus as if we're doing him a favor. Mm -hmm. Like I'll follow you if you, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever do for me. And we make these like great business deals as if we have something to offer to the equation. Right. right. Yeah, um, that's why I often start our Sunday services by reminding us that it's you're not doing a favor to God by coming to worship <laughs> him, right? Yeah. And yet how often do we think that? But what's reality is God has invited you. He's called you to come and worship him because that's the best thing you could ever do. Amazing, and that, yeah. that's actually grace precedes worship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's God actually great with grace coming to us and saying hey come come to me and while he doesn't need it it pleases him Mm -hmm. you know it pleases Mm -hmm. him whenever we as worshipers see ourselves united with his son in whom he is well pleased right i mean it's and then we come in that grace and respond and it pleases the lord and again like it's it's so hard it's hard to tell the difference I think what we're talking about is hard, and I think Jesus actually helps us with these analogies. Like you look out on the, you know, I mean, th- you know, you've I know you've been to Israel, but like doesn't you don't I haven't. Oh, you haven't. No, okay, I haven't. you don't even need to go to Israel. Just okay. go out Thanks. to a farm. Okay, okay. good. And I you can see do, a hillside. I've done that. You see a hillside, and you you know it's like okay, you see animals on the hillside. Okay, mm-hmm. which one are the sheep and which one are the goats? I just see a bunch of bodies out there. Yeah, know, you just know things. that it's something, yeah. it's that kind of yeah. animal, but you can't really right. tell. Look out into a field. Mm-hmm. Which one is the wheat? Which one is the tear? Likely more difficult. <laughs> you can't even yeah, tell. Right. Yeah, you yeah. can't tell. You know, or then the two houses, right? Like, yeah. you know, you look at the house, one's been on the, from a distance, they just look like two great houses, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's uh, this kind of language, like leader becoming like, okay, like, this person's successful because their business is successful. This person's successful because their church is successful versus true discipleship 
and maybe the Lord is moving, mm. it's hard to tell the difference between those two things, yeah. right? And and I think like when when all of those crowds were crossing over to Capernaum after Jesus had performed the miracle, everyone thought that every one of them mm-hmm. was a follower. And that's what I thought was so intriguing about the yeah. text is actually calls them, and, and disciple means follower, but you know, verse 60, when the disciples heard this, mm-hmm. when the disciples heard this, they turned away. Verse 66, they quit following him. And so, I, yeah, I just think that the, the closeness of a disciple, a true disciple and a false disciple is something that is hard to tell, but something that Jesus seems very concerned with. And I think we need to be mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Well, and so that, yeah, that brings up the thought for me or question, okay, what are the circumstances that help reveal that, right? Reveal whether you're a true follower or not. I think in this situation, it's, it's a hard saying of Jesus. I think also, I mean, my, my mind goes to trial, you know, when, when things get hard in our lives, that, that is a moment where our, it's a test of our true faith, right? Like whether we actually trust in the Lord or not. Um, but that, you know, you see that with the disciples for whatever reason, what Jesus said, I think was too hard for them. It's like, wait a second, this is not, this is not the, you know, easy life following Jesus as he restores the kingdom of Israel that I thought. And that's what made them leave, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I, but I'm just wondering, yeah, like what are those moments in our lives where where those things can actually be revealed or how, how do we test ourselves? Well, I mean, like church discipline is something that I semi mentioned yesterday, mm-hmm. but yeah. it, it, it actually is something that, and I want you to hear this like very rightly that we all need. Yeah. Now we may not all get to the final like place of church discipline, but literally all of us. Um, so, you know, why? Yeah, I like you to, coming to me and saying, Jason, the way that you talked to Tara the other day, you were very hot tempered, and you know that actually is church discipline. Well, I like to say, yeah, in a healthy church, actually, church discipline should be happening all the time. That's right. Yeah, because we we should be looking out for our brother and sister, <laughs> and we should be going to them not every time they sin, but like when we see a pattern, a or pattern when we of have outward, a question, yeah, unrepentant, like that, that actually is part of us loving one another. Well, and to your point, church discipline is often, you know, if you understand it or have experienced it, oftentimes we just think of these, you know, extreme things that happen at the end, but you know, healthy church, I think now this is mm-hmm. a way that we guard and protect one another. Yeah. But, we talk, sorry, but, I say, but I've just, if I've just made a deal with Jesus, and I don't really want him to change my heart, then in those moments, I can get very hard-hearted and be like, Jordan, who do you think you are right. talking to me? I'm the senior pastor around here. Talk to yeah. me like that again, and you know, I'll never let you sing again or something, <laughs> you know? Like, and so, but that, I mean, that like, oh, that's yeah. actually not like totally far-fetched yeah. from like, I think where people can get. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it just shows, I mean, I think it's easy as Christian ministers to feast on the crowd and to not actually be feasting on Jesus. Um, Absolutely. There's a warning to all yeah, of us. It is. And it's in the Bible, right? I mean, like what you mentioned in your sermon yesterday, um, the instance that made its way to Twitter where this person yeah, yeah, was disciplined yeah. out of a church and, and or Instagram or whatever. And people were just saying, Jesus would never say anything like that. This person was obviously in sin. They had made commitments to this church. They had professed faith. 
they had, you know, they had agreed to the covenant of this church, and now they had a pattern of sin that means that they had broken the covenant that they have made, right? They don't, they no longer possess the evidences of faith. This church's responsibility is not to sweep that under the rug and say, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was nice when that person came, but you know, we just wish them the best. Rather, the right response is for that church, the pastors to go after them and say, hey, brother, sister, you're in sin, yada, yada, yada. We don't, we, we no longer can say that you're a Christian. And they, they sent a letter and, and Twitter exploded. <laughs> Saying things such as, uh, you know, Jesus would never say anything like that. Yeah. But, he, but he totally does. Jesus over and over is not again. in that church, right? But yeah. that, And that's where I think the problem is. Jesus has become this make-believe figure. Mm. And he's become this... It's it's the my buddy Jesus that I talked about, mm-hmm. you know, a few months ago. It's It's... I just want a little God figure to follow me around and affirm me. Uh, and I like, you know, Christian Smith's, I mean, we, he, he uses the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. It's not even really like, <laughs> I mean, I think moralistic it's, it's, he's moralistic in, in so far as that he affirms your morals. Um, it's, right. it's not, it's not like, you know, we're kind of in a postmodern age where it's not like Jesus is giving you new morals. And again, this is not new. I, I act right. like we live in an age like this. <laughs> no, like. John six is an example of this. Like this is just, it's always been around, right? We always want Jesus mm-hmm. to be a puppet. Yeah, that's right. And I think just, it's appropriate to read just kind of this, this foundational text on church discipline from Jesus himself in Matthew 18 in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Meaning, and this is an important thing, right? If somebody sins against you, you don't go tell all your friends about it. Yeah. You don't go address people who aren't right. related to the issue. You go directly to that person. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take two, one or two others along with you that every charge may be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. This is talking about your embarrassing sin and my embarrassing sin. Mm-hmm. If we're unwilling to listen and repent. And if he refuses to lift, to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Yeah. This is the word of our Lord. Well, and, and, and again, I mean, if that sounds a little harsh, like Jesus's hope there is that the weight of Blake Rogers is 10 pounds. The weight of Jordan and Blake together is maybe 50 pounds, mm-hmm. but the weight of the whole church is like a hundred thousand pounds, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's kind of the weight of pressure against mm-hmm. this person to hopefully bring them to repentance. And if they can refuse that weight, you know, then I mean, what else can you do? It's like, okay, their their heart is hard toward God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the worst thing that could happen. Now, the weight of God one day in judgment yeah. is like a billion pounds, right? right? And so you're, you're saving them. You're trying to save them from that judgment, from yeah. the greater weight. Yeah, yeah, that's right. To be embarrassed in front of a few hundred people is is a far less weight than to be embarrassed one day in front of a holy God. Yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah, it gets to you know that the, we don't like having a God who can tell us what to do, and yet that's the very God that we honor and serve because that's actually the best thing that could happen to us is we obey <laughs> Jesus. But, you know, I think church discipline is a place where we are reminded that God does have 
a way that he has called us to live. It's to really walk in freedom, right? Like to not, not be enslaved to our sin. But when we reject that, there, it doesn't mean there's no consequence. To right, it. right. And it's actually the most loving thing that God, but also the church can do mm-hmm. is not let someone just walk in unrepentant sin, walking away from the Lord. It's for the church to say, no, we, we want you to be here. We want you to follow God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually loving. Yeah, it, It's right. interesting that like probably a lot of people that wouldn't like the idea of church discipline love the doctrine of assurance, yeah. right? Like yeah. once saved, always saved or whatever you want to call it is. Um, but it's actually things like church discipline that allow for assurance, right? Yep. It, it is those things that keep <clears throat> us in perseverance, mm-hmm. right? So I, I talked about yesterday, like the doctrine of perseverance and the doctrine of assurance aren't opposite. They actually work together. Those who persevere are those who God has kept or those who God assures, right? Mm-hmm. And, and God gives us things like warning passages in scripture, church discipline, yeah. He gives us things like the accountability of ministry. Like, aren't aren't you grateful for the accountability of ministry? Mm-hmm. I mean, I sure am. Yeah. I would have made a lot of boneheaded decisions, except for I think to myself, well, I guess in the past I shouldn't do that. <laughs> now, my heart is not in the right place. Okay, so my heart is still sinful, but um, the, but God has actually provided a, a wall, mm-hmm. you know, right. for me through the mm-hmm. accountability of ministry. That's right. Um, and, and the conviction of the Spirit, right? And, and right, I think yeah. a lot of times... When I was growing up, I viewed conviction as like this judgment from God. But now I see better. Yeah. I see that now conviction. You're a <laughs> I see that conviction is actually the grace of God. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's the spirit at work within you as a Christian to hold you fast, recognizing that the sin that you have been or are committing is not God's standard, is not God's best. It isn't, it doesn't honor Christ. It breaks God's commands, and he's convicting you seeking to lead you to repentance. That is his grace. Right. Mm-hmm. The The judgment of God is sin without conviction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you, where God just gives God you, let sh- God gives, gives you, you over, over to right, the yeah. passions of your heart, to, yeah. to, to, to your sinful behavior. That's actually the worst thing that could happen That's to you. That's the worst possible scenario. Yeah. And so um, whenever we as Christians, we feel conviction, we should be grateful that God is chasing us. The discipline of the yeah. Lord is his yeah. kindness. Mm-hmm. He's after he, lives, yeah. he disciplines those he loves. So, okay. In light of kind of Jesus's like, you know, trying to push the crowds away by, by telling, he's not necessarily trying to push the crowds away, I guess. What he's trying to do is make clear why the crowd is there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in our culture where success is almost an idol, it just kind of makes me ask the question like, okay, what is success for a church? If it's if we apply this model of what we see in, happening with Jesus right here, where like crowd building is not success, what then is success, Dees? Well, and 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 I do think we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Like I I do think like Jesus has a heart to seek and to save the lost. Like Jesus has a desire that none would perish, right? And yeah. so you know he's you know he's not trying to push the crowds away in as much as he's trying to clarify, clarify. where salvation is coming from. And I think that is what is true for the church, right? Like we as leaders in the church should be pursuing gospel clarity to a point where people 
realize um, that their only hope is Jesus. I mean, I think Peter kind of gets it. To whom else will I go? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, how I'm a sinner. I don't have the words of life. None of these other people have the words of life. Mm-hmm. You're the only one that has the words of life. And the thing I like about the passage, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, I don't think Peter was super clear on what Jesus was teaching anyway, mm-hmm. right? Either, right? I don't think Peter was like, I don't understand why these people right. are leaving. Mm-hmm. Like, it's obviously you're speaking metaphorically, and what we're supposed to be feeding on is your word, and da 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 da. I don't, I don't think Peter's like all clear in the head in that moment. I think he's sad. I think he's probably discouraged. I think he's probably bummed that all these people are leaving. Mm-hmm. Yet he still recognizes the beauty of Christ and that his only hope is Christ. Uh, and to me, that is that is like the best faith. That's the kind of faith that I want to have. Like when when your child gets diagnosed with leukemia, or when you face some trial, or whatever it is happens. When your heart in that moment, in a confused and frustrated and and even you know maybe angry or upset kind of way can turn back to the Lord. I actually think that is what saving faith looks like. Mm. Um, because then you know that you're trusting God for God's sake and not really for your own sake. You're, mm. you're trusting God because you see how beautiful he is and not because he can give you bread or he can, it's where the crowd is or he can protect your family. Even yeah. you're, you're trusting him because he is worthy of your trust. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is, that's what I want to be true of the members of Christ's covenant. And again, I don't want to like make people mad for making people of mad sake, or we don't want, we want to have a nice experience for people. We, I mean, we want to do things in a good way. Like we, because we care about the loss, like we want to seek and save the loss, but we, we never ever want them to believe a false gospel. And, and, it, and we've just been talking about, it. it's easy to do that. Mm-hmm. When I think this, in this day and age, there is a unique temptation for us to believe that somehow we can protect ourselves from whether it's sickness, suffering, difficulty in our lives. Whereas previous generations had different challenges, but there was a certain reality of, hey, what's gonna happen is gonna happen, right? And I think we carry that temptation into our relationship with God as well, if we're not careful, right? I can believe that, okay, well, if I put in my time as a Christian, then somehow that helps this idea of I can live a pain-free life, a successful life, and I'll coast into heaven, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not what Jesus calls us to. (laughs) And I think we have to come to grips with that. I mean, it's just the amount of time, if you consider your life, the amount of time that we devote to trying to avoid any and all difficulty and pain. And then you read the Bible (laughs) and you see over and over again, difficulty and pain. But the difference that Jesus makes is now you have a strong confidence and hope that God is with you in the suffering and that he is working all things for Mm -hmm. your good and for his glory in a way that is above our understanding. Right. And like, but that takes deep faith. And I think that's where superficial Christianity does not help you when you suffer. Um, you have to have a, a deep faith, a mature faith to be able to look past your circumstance and still believe even in the midst of worry and discouragement and sadness, 
that somehow God is going to work and he's with me. Um, but that's why, you know, to your point, Blake, or question of what is success for a church, success has to be mature Christians, you know, growing um, because that's what, that's what Jesus invites us into, right? Mm-hmm. It's in, it's into a ever deepening, growing faith in him, not superficial, whether it's numbers or success or, you know, somehow, whoa, Christ covenants now bought a building and we're growing. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's not what success is, yeah, right? It's, that's right. We have to grow and mature in our faith and love for <clears throat> Jesus. Um, and, and that's, that's how Jesus builds mm-hmm. his church. That's good. I do think like, maybe this is a member meeting conversation, but, um, you know, this whole, like get a building and you've kind of arrived kind yeah. of idea that I think we're all really susceptible to. Um, I get a little concerned about, you know, I mean, we, we will have a nice building. How many, how many, how many hours are we thinking about like the design of this building? These? I know. I mean, I mean, no, I think that's a good warning. It's, it's, you know, it's going to be a great place. Let's just call it what it is. It's going to be a nice place. Mm-hmm. It's going to be comfortable. Um, and then I think about kind of our moment that we're in. We're having to show up early, set up and tear down. There's, it's dirty. It's not comfortable. <laughs> um, I, I think we've got to be careful as a church family um, to always have ourselves in this place of like discomfort and, and inconvenience in a sense, whether that's through serving or, or, or whatever that we need to be stretching ourselves, whether that is like cutting our membership and like, sending some of them to go plant a church and like reducing and the pain that we go through through that because even in the little forms of like how you do things you're teaching yourself something or you're opening your heart up to something called comfort uh, called arrival and and i think that can be a dangerous place for us and so there's no like the building's not the problem right The, the building is not the issue It'll be our heart's response to that building, to that perceived comfort that we just always have to be attuned to yeah. in order to stay healthy. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think it's like the ultimately the right reading of I can do all things through Christ who mm-hmm. strengthens me, you know, mm-hmm. Philippians 4.13. It, it, and, and, and the the wrong reading of that and the right reading of that are are, are so close together, right? Yeah. The, the wrong reading of that is Jesus is a magic genie and if I trust him enough, I can do everything I want. The right reading of that is I've learned how to be brought low. I've learned how to abound mm-hmm. and I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So it's it's not to your point, like it's not wrong for us to have a building. Like in yep. some ways, like we're abounding. Right. I mean, how amazing is it that the Lord has taken us That's right. from, you know, Sutton Middle School to like having our own piece of property? That's amazing. But but do you know how to abound? Yeah. And in abounding, it's hard. do you become self-confident and self-reliant and proud? And, and do you actually, do you, are you actually doing all things through Christ or do you, in abounding, do you start all, doing all things through self? Yeah. And then do you know how to be brought low, yeah. you know, and can you be brought mm-hmm. low in Christ where you can be, you know, and so that's, I know how to abound. I know how to be brought low. That's really, I think what we're talking about here. Um, that's really faith, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 it shouldn't, I hope that it doesn't always require great suffering to have faith. Yeah. If it does, like basically all of our church is in trouble because none of us are really <laughs> suffering. Um, but I hope it doesn't 
you know, but it also shouldn't require abounding to have faith, right? Yeah. It, it, it should, you have to know how to abound, you yeah, have to know good. how to be brought low. Well, that's uh, how the Israelite story in the Old Testament is so helpful. That's right. right? That's because right. It, it, they actually never dealt with the test of prosperity well. Right. <laughs> yes. No, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they didn't deal with the test of uh, being brought low well yeah, either, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. I in mean, times yeah. of being brought low, they trusted in false things also. That's right. And so, that's right. I mean, so that's, this is my point. Like you, you know, you can have, you can abound and have no faith and you can be brought low and, and, and have no faith. Um, but can, you know, are we really looking to Christ? Are we really feasting on Christ? And that kind of gets to the, and we, I think we've spent a long time, and this is a really important conversation, but like, how do we feast? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we talked about being, filling your hearts with the word of God, listening to preaching, um, we talked about being among the people. We talked about ministry. We talked about partaking in the sacraments. And just kind of as a note there, like we see at Christ's covenant, people ask me this all the time, like we see baptism as a corporate act, right? Mm-hmm. So like we're celebrating in this corporate act of believers baptism, even though only like one person is like doing mm-hmm. the thing, we're celebrating the drama of God's salvation in that person as we witness that. So it's one of the reasons that we partake in all of these things corporately together. Um, that's how we feast on Christ. That is what realigns our lives. You know, I was talking with a buddy of mine this morning and he goes, help me. <laughs> he goes, help me talk to my wife about fear and anxiety. Um, and just like being kind of down on the world all the time. And I said, you know what? I said, I, I talked to a lot of people and you know what y'all need to do? Y'all need to, they're not a member of our church. I was like, you need to get back into corporate worship. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be a part of the people of God. And especially in 2020, the people that I think have most dealt with fear and anxiety and most feel like the world's going to hell in a handbasket and you know, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. are the people that have been disconnected from the people of God. Their, their hearts aren't aligned with the Lord. Their hearts aren't being encouraged by the saints. They're not, you know, feasting with community. They're not seeing people come to know the Lord. And so they're just kind of going to this really bad place. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah. So thoughts on how to feast. Well, I loved, I mean, in one sense, these are everyone, every Christian should know and understand these things, right? Like this is basically what God calls us to is walking out of Christian's life. Um, but I, I appreciate you, really in this series of John, you at different points have focused on, relationship you know and that that what is important about you know as we do all these things there is a relationship behind it that that god invites us into right it's a relationship with jesus and and so i just think you know as we consider what it means to be in the word and be with his people and do ministry and the sacraments it's all for the purpose of you know helping us deepen this relationship with jesus that when that is strong yeah, everything is right in our lives, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's the place where we're actually feasting on Christ. Um, so I just, I, I think in my own life, as you were walking through those things, it was just a helpful reminder that there is a way to read your Bible and attend church and, you know, participate in sacraments that is not feasting on Christ. When it's, when I'm not doing it in faith, that this is, this is actually for the purpose of yeah, that's a good word. deepening this relationship with with Jesus, with with my Savior. Um, so that 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 was what was impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think um, you know Peter's 
um, answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, I think, you know, whenever we apply that kind of dependence mentality to the ways that God reveals himself to us, right? So like through personal devotion, like why are you doing that? Um, are you doing that so you can feel good about your religious duty yeah. or to Jordan's point, or are you doing that because you're totally dependent on knowing and applying the grace of Christ to your life today? And the same thing for sermon listening and, um, Ministry, and worship singing. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. do you recognize the dependence of Christ that we have? I mean, we, we are totally dependent on him as Christians mm-hmm. and, um, is that kind of the mentality that you approach the means of grace he's given us? Yeah. And even the sacraments too, right? I yeah, mean, which is the means of grace. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can do those in a, I mean, again, that's one of my critiques of transubstantiation. Mm-hmm. You're not really trusting in Christ. You're trusting in the priest's ability to consecrate yeah. the bread and the wine. You're trusting in the act of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, this is kind of the whole like religion and relationships thing, right? Religion is not bad in so much in the same way that like uh, taking your wife on a date is not bad, right? right? But you can like take your wife to Superica every Friday night and hate her, yeah. right? The the practice of going to Superica can be or cannot be a good activity for the sake of your marriage. That's not the problem. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like people talk about, oh, I don't want religion. I want relationship. Well, religion is just means, right? It's, right. it's it was, it was always meant to be means, right? Yeah. It, it, the word religion is, comes from the idea of being bound together again. Right. And so, I mean, you can, I'll just keep using the wife illustration. Like you, you can take your wife on a date. You can, um, you know, go on a walk with your wife you can make love to your wife and and actually if if you're if you're not in your wife you're not for your wife if the relationship with your wife is not strong actually all of those things can lead to a division between you and your wife you know mm-hmm. and so this is and, and this is the same thing with religion it, yeah. you can count you can you can start counting on those things and never really know and love jesus um well and the other side of that you know the flip side is you can think that those have things have no value and so i can just have a relationship with jesus and not go to church not read my bible you know and and just assume that oh i I don't i don't need this right and it's like no you do yeah and then those things become i mean your relationship with jesus becomes very superficial at that point Mm -hmm. it's not like what what substance does it have if it's not a word driven relationship with jesus it it becomes that make-believe idol Mm -hmm. thing yeah yeah it's good. Bropez has given us a look. I feel like we've gone too long. How, how long are we going here, Bropez? Oh, man. That's a long one. Yeah. But you know one. what? This is this is important. It's a good conversation. It is. I feel like it's good. But you know what? We got stuff to do. And so we're going to have to let y'all... y'all you're going to have to find a friend. Keep talking yeah, about this with him. Right. Yeah. Dees, hey, I just want to say great sermon series. Yeah. Great job. Thanks, Blake. John 6. Yeah. You served our church really well. It was fun. You know who's preaching this week? I get a breather. The Coughlin. Boom. Jay Coff right here. I got to go prepare now. Beauty. Art. We're talking about uh, Christianity arts. And so I can't, I can't it's wait. Gonna, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, for Jordan Coughlin, Blake Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.